up, everyone, and welcome to episode 183 of the Justin Insight Podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, my name is Tim Burtbeck. I am your host and your guide through this podcast. I don't know why I said that. I never said that before. But hey, here we are again, another week, another show. Thank you, as always, for everyone joining us, listening to this wherever you are, whether you're out having a walk now that the weather here in the UK has got a little bit nicer. If you're at home, working from home still, wherever you are, thank you very much for giving this a little listen. Um, as always, just want to say a big shout out. Thank you for everyone that listened last week to the episode with Mike Slybaum. Um, again, really great feedback from that episode. And yeah, really humble that Mike was, was kind enough to take some time and have a little chat with me on that one. It was really cool. And I kind of mentioned the chat. Darkest Hour was a band that I got into when I was a lot younger. So it was kind of cool for me to have that little chat with him as well. Um, a couple of bits off the bat before we get into this week's guest. I know I've kind of been rambling on about it for several weeks now, but we're nearing the 1st of April, which is going to be the release date of our charity sampler. Uh, all 20 slots have now been filled. So to all the bands that have submitted stuff, thank you very much. Really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's just it's like when I first put it out, the reaction to it has been really cool. And yeah, it's been nice to, to fill 20 slots. So that will be out on Bandcamp on April 1st. Um, also, the day of recording this, which is March 1st, we've announced who the charity that this first round of um, the sampler will be supporting. The charity is Head Above the Waves. Um, they're a sort of mental health support charity that works within sort of like the music industry and sort of young teens who are into music and their kind of journey through through it I guess is a kind of a I'm really bad at sort of describing this but we're going to put a link in the in the sort of description notes of this week's episode just so you can kind of get a bit more information about what they do um but if you want to find out more their website address is hatw.co.uk all the information is on there um I'm hoping to get a member of the charity on the show just so they can talk about it a bit more and kind of yeah give their words what they do because me rambling about it isn't going to help so but yeah they're our charity for the first one so basically if you aren't sure what I'm, I'm talking about and this is your first time listening to the show uh we're doing a charity sampler that should be released on Bandcamp. it'll be charged at one dollar or one pound um but also pay what you want 100 percent of all the proceeds of that will go to Head Above the Waves. Um, we're also getting exclusive artwork done for each sampler, and we're going to be doing like a limited run of prints of those. So again, all the money raised from the sales of those will go to Heads Above the Waves. That's that bit done. Um, I think that's all. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to mention, our monthly playlist for February is now out as well. Um, there's a link on our Instagram well, it's on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. So if you want to see what we've been jamming through February, as well as like a couple of tracks from the guests from the last month, then go check that out as well. I'm going to be doing those monthly playlists at the end of each month. So yeah, and I'm looking to do something a little bit new. I'm still toying around with the idea of it, but that will also be coming out uh, towards April time. So keep your eyes peeled for that. 
Um, in terms of stuff, what I've been jamming this week, uh, again, as the day of recording this, uh, Gulch and Tsunami have released a, a split through Triple B Records. That is fucking phenomenal. Uh, New Julian Baker record, obviously, so, so good. Uh, New Gel record, Violent Closure, really, really cool. Definitely worth your time. Go and check that out. Yeah, some really good releases came out this week. Um, Jarhead Fertilizer, kind of like a death metal-y grind band. Uh, came out through Close Classic Activities, Product of My Environment. Another really cool record. Cloud Nothing's new record came out. Glitterer's record finally came out. So yeah, a lot of stuff been been listened to in the last couple of weeks. Um, and also I want to give a good uh, shout out to my good friend and co-host of the Deathscography podcast, uh, Jeremy Maguire, for recommending me the band Hospital Bracelet. Their record that came out this year, um, South Loop Summer, has been on heavy rotation the last week. So, Jeremy, thank you very much for recommending that. Um, right, I've rambled way too long on this intro, so let's get to this week's guest. This week, I am joined by vocalist and guitarist of fuzzy indie punk band uh, Beach Riot, Rory O'Connor. Um, we discuss kind of how Rory obviously got into music, the normal sort of formula of this show, but how... His kind of journey to to Beach Riot is a bit unusual because he went through kind of like the indie scene and had a bit of success in in his band through that, playing festivals like Tea in the Park, playing um, Reading and Leeds with Beach Riot. So getting on those kind of big festivals at quite a early stage in his musical career, how his uh, his business essentially a, a coffee shack and the BIM University campus. Uh, facility has kind of helped build an audience for, for Beach Riot and what Beach Riot kind of hope to do in the future where they obviously had a bit of momentum going with them before coronavirus hit and now obviously we're looking at light at the end of the tunnel what that kind of looks like for the band so yeah please sit back enjoy the chat I have with Rory and I'll see you on the other side Cool. So uh, joining me this week on the Justin Inside podcast is Beach Riot vocalist and guitarist Rory O'Connor. Rory, thank you very much for taking some time to have a little chat with me. Um, how How is everything? How's everything in, in your world? Obviously, gearing up for, for the record, but just in, in general, what have you kind of been doing to, to pass the time in these weird times? Star Trek. Loads and loads of Star Trek. <laughs> nice. <And> cats. <laughs> um, yeah, not not loads. We, we, we managed to spend a bit of last year recording which was really awesome that kept us kind of going but um mm. yeah recently i think like everyone it's just hitting hard this one <laughs> this lockdown yeah um, yeah yeah definitely but star trek voyager lots nice of <laughs> yeah but uh, any was it kind of like a, a thing that you kind of went back and visited or was it just sort of something yeah. that you never watched so i remember as a kid i remember watching it on like whenever it would come on and yeah i think last year i decided i need to go back in and like a bit of the next gen, like next generation, <laughs> following on from that, a bit of DS9 and now I'm in Voyager. <laughs> nice, I like it, I like it. Cool, so um, yeah, as always like with the show, I always kind of take my guests sort of back to their their roots, sort of like, and their kind of gateway into music. So what was kind of like your first exposure to alternative music? Like what kind of put uh, you on that path? I think the very first one I can think of 
would be probably Buddy Holly a bit randomly. Oh, when nice. I was, when I was really young. And I think, I can't remember where or how, I think someone told me to stop, like, maybe my mum or dad told me the story of, like, how he how they died in the plane crash and, and mm. everything about it. And then um, we went and saw there was, like, a Buddy Holly musical. I think when I was, like, 10. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, a really awesome live show. And that, I think that was probably the first, the very first thing I could really think. That and Back to the Future, when he does, like, Johnny Be Good. Like yeah. my reply. <laughs> yeah. I think those two is what really started off for me. And then yeah, but then not not that I got it crazy into like fifties music or anything, but I think that just sort of lit a little fire. And then Yeah, it was, kind of like introduced you to like guitar music kind of thing. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And then it was probably a bit dormant for a bit until I guess Nirvana, probably like a lot of <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Kind of kids hearing like smell that team spirit it was just like, whoa my god. And then that was that was mm-hmm. when it really went. So what was that just like hearing it kind of on the radio sort of thing, or was no, somebody some, kind of someone played it? it to me? Yeah, I remember some someone in school like with a little Walkman just was like, "Got to listen to this," and I just it was one of those like proper like instant, you know, like an instant like life changing moment kind of thing. <laughs> just like, yeah. wow, what is that? <laughs> and yeah. So like from that, did you kind of like actively sort of dig into to a bit more stuff or were people kind of showing you more no, I, kind of like guitar led stuff? I went full, full, full Nirvana. <laughs> like there was nothing else in my world at that point other than Nirvana for about for about like three or four years, I think. And oh okay. Just got a load of like guitar tab books and like it kind of made me pick up a guitar. And um yeah, I was really, really like tunnel vision. Like there it wasn't any other band at that point. I think from like 13 to like 15, 16. And mm. um, I didn't even have that. I, a lot of my friends were like kind of more like the sporty types. And I was like quite a football kid as well. So it's kind of this kind of, they were all into their kind of charty stuff. And then I was this, just this outlier who really loved the kind of grungy stuff. And then when I got to about mm. f- 15, I met some other much more long haired kind of hippie kids. <laughs> yeah. And they introduced me to them to a whole like much more like a metal world. And then that was like probably a bit more of an awakening. But yeah, I was quite just self-sufficiently listening to Nirvana <laughs> nonstop. Nice. Yeah. So, like, from there, like you say, kind of sort of around the f- age 15, like, people sort of showing you other music. But, like, I guess when was the stage that you were actively kind of, I guess, kind of, like, digging in, like, I know you said, like, Nirvana, like, you were playing music and stuff, but, like, kind of actively digging into sort of different types of music and kind of like searching for music kind of thing. I think it was probably around, it would probably be around that time, yeah, like 15, 16. Um, so I'd already been playing guitar for a while, but just not, just like, I was just trying to learn Nirvana songs, I think I remember. And then <laughs> yeah. there's these two guys, a guy called Jason, a guy called Joe, and they, they, yeah, they put me on to like, um, like White Zombie and Rob Zombie and Metallica and a lot of like a bit more heavier stuff. And then I really, because I was, I, I know I keep saying it, but I was quite single track, like nothing else matters yeah. until they showed me some of that. And it was the first time I was like, oh, actually, there's more, there's more music out there than just uh, <laughs> yeah. Kurt Cobain. And then that was probably the start of like, okay, it's actually really exciting to just every week just find some new band and some new album and, you know, explore. They're all kind of still within the confines of, you know, like rock and metal and stuff like that. But um, mm. yeah, it's like 15, 16. Yeah. And aside from like Nirvana, because I think, as you say, like a lot of people that age were kind of discovering them and obviously they kind of obviously became like this massive band. But was there any other band, especially when you were kind of 
finding like new genres and and different things within that world mm. were there any other bands that you were really drawn to and you were sort of like oh no this is kind of my band kind of thing i got quite drawn to pavement around that time and oh nice and yeah and i got quite to pavement i think i definitely went through all the kind of like i think if you if you get into that kind of like grunge 90s world you maybe start with Nirvana and then you can work like some of the bigger obvious ones like sonic youth and mm. um, I found that I kind of wasn't into the, I was more into the punky side rather than the kind of Pearl Jamming side. That means, yeah. Like of, of the two sides of that 90s thing. And uh, yeah, but I then find myself going more into pavement and then got very into Queens of Stone Age for a while. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that was really like, like those are the two, I was definitely into Mudhoney a lot as well. They've got that kind of fuzzy, very, very punky, fuzzy thing. Um, yeah. But it was still very much the kind of heavier stuff. Uh, and then like dabbled into some metal stuff. But I would say Pavement was the next sort of big one at that time, I think. Mm. I really. And, and just kind of like jumping forward a little bit, just in terms of like, because saying like, obviously getting into sort of like Nirvana and Pavement and things like that, you can kind of see those influences in what Beach Riot is kind of doing. But yeah. did you, was that something that you'd always kind of like came back to? Because you should say like, sort of dipping your toe into the world of like punk and metal and stuff was it always that kind of fuzzier sound that you kind of yeah was a bit of a comfort blanket sort of thing and you kind yeah. of ended up going back to definitely and i definitely just a big heavy chunky you know pumping but slightly more dissonant side of whatever that is i was fine i lent to walk so that's i think that's why i love pavement because they kind of did it almost seemed like you could just do whatever you want and it still sounded really really good <laughs> you know mm. it was I don't think he would say it's the best. I think he's an incredible vocalist. Uh, Steve Mattwell, Steve Mattwell, for, for Pavement. But it's not like a cliche kind of wonderful voice. And yeah. I think that steered me towards, I started getting into kind of a bit more dissonant -y kind of okay to sound rough around the edges kind of stuff rather than mm. really polished rock. Um, <laughs> also yeah. was massively into uh, a band called Sleeper Kinney. I don't know if you know Sleeper Kinney, who are like this. Yeah, yeah. I've never really kind of listened to them, but I know I recognise the name. Yeah, really, really, really cool. So I think like Portland or something. And then got into kind of the whole female-fronted sort of. There was a lot of that within that genre. And I definitely got very into mm. that kind of stuff, like um, obviously like Hole and Yeah After and all that kind of stuff. And then Cable. There's a 90s band called Cable that Jim, our bassist, put me onto a long time ago. Okay. Cable were like a kind of Derby mid 90s kind of a bit like a bit sort of grungy sounding, but it, but much more English. Like the band yeah, yeah. Some, somehow never really quite made it, but I got very obsessed with them. I highly recommend Cable. <laughs> That's cool. So then, in terms of you actually like playing music and sort of picking up a guitar. I'm I'm gonna guess like the the sort of obsession with Nirvana was kind of the 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 want to sort of yeah. learn guitar sort of thing definitely and I'm it's probably made me a really bad guitarist because <laughs> because <laughs> that was kind of how I learned guitar was just learning Nirvana songs and they're not particularly mm. they're not particularly difficult songs and I never and I got a bit lazy with wanting to push myself so I just sat down and learned literally the whole Nirvana back catalog but it made it really exciting it made it not be a chore. You know, there was never, yeah. never felt like practice. It was always just can't wait to get home to try and play some other Nirvana song. Mm. So yeah. And in terms of like the the sort of like vocal side of things, was that again because you'd kind of saw Kurt like 
playing guitar and singing or did like the, the singing side of things come along a little bit later? That was actually way later for me. Like I definitely tried it at like my first few bands when I was like 16, but I, I kind of realized quite quickly, I don't think I was the best singer out there. And so I ended up gravitating. I actually didn't, I played in bands so I kind of did backing vocals and stuff and I moved away from the singing mm. side because I just wasn't super confident with it. And it was only, that's much more recent actually. I need with, really with Beach Right actually. I played bass in a really, really cool, much more kind of indie band in London for a while and I was bass and backing vocals and that taught me like a whole other side of music I didn't even know with stuff like Bowie and um, The Stranglers and really awesome stuff like that and mm. I, was, I wasn't really singing apart from just like the odd kind of indie backing vocals and it's, yeah. only, it's only in Beach Right that I, I sent a friend a demo and was like oh, I'm just working on this kind of like little fuzzy thing it's much more kind of what I love in terms of like fuzzy sounding stuff here's like me singing on it but it sounds really shit so i need to find a singer and he just sent this really nice reply back just being like mate it sounds great why why don't you just sing and i think i needed that kind of push to be like oh mm. maybe i could sing and that's yeah <laughs> much more recently that's cool like i think i think so it then... didn't it didn't help loving nirvana because no one can sing like kurt and i think i tried to yeah, do that yeah. when i was like 16 and very quickly it was like yeah i can't <laughs> i can't do that <laughs> and that put me away from it so in terms of like sort of like your exploration of music and kind of going and seeing music like live music so where because you're in brighton now aren't you yeah so do, whereabouts did you grow up did you grow up in brighton so yeah i grew up in brighton and i was here for quite i was here for all my like youth and stuff and then moved to london for for about seven years and then came yeah. back and sort of we started beach right in london but i, I sort of brought it back down here a few years ago but yeah brighton's mm. kind of the main place. so like when you were like growing up, were you going to, to shows in Brighton or was yeah. that not until sort of later on? No, yeah, there was. There was loads. It, Brighton's always had like a, it's a massive student town. So there's always a really great scene mm. down here. But I kind of, when I was like 17, 18, I kind of gravitated towards, there was some really cool kind of arty, like, I don't again, that kind of dissonant. They weren't like, they were never going to be on Radio 1 kind of bands, but incre yeah. incredible musicians and yeah, there was a really good scene down here with like, there was a bank called Charlottefield and there was a bank called I'm Being Good. And they were just this kind of like gnarly, very Brighton sounding. I mean, I'm not really describing that well, but yeah, there was, I, there was a load <laughs> of gigs in just like small little venues, but it'd always be like really busy, but I wouldn't say they were like, it was right at the height of like mid noughties indie. And I was right really not into that at that time. So I was like kind of trying to do the complete opposite of that. Mm. But that was, that mixed with going to big metal festivals. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah, would probably be my sort of first gig forays into gigs. But the reason I ask is like I'm I'm not like hugely familiar with like Brighton scene, but like I go to I do go to quite a few shows in Brighton, more like the sort of punk side of things. But as yeah. you say, there's always kind of been like no matter what sort of genre it is, there's always a home for it in Brighton mm. sort of thing. So I don't know, like when you were younger, like kind of like again, sort of like testing the waters, sort of figuring out what you wanted to do as a musician, mm. because there was this kind of eclectic field. Did you kind of feel like, oh, there's definitely like a gateway for me to kind of explore sort of thing? Yeah, massively. It's just I was not very good, but I definitely, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really honest. But yeah, so like me and, so our current bassist, Jim, um, so me and him were in this two piece back back then. And it like I said, it was right at the height of like pointy shoes kind of indie music. Right. And so yeah, yeah. we were trying, I would say that, so we were, we missed all that side because we weren't doing that kind of music. So we were then finding these other kind of like much more 
unique, gnarly, fuzzy kind of stuff, except that, if I'm totally honest, I think I was really bad at it. So we definitely were trying to play those gigs, but just not doing very well at it. Yeah, yeah. But like in terms, like, were there any sort of like early shows that you can remember that sort of you like attended to and you were sort of like, oh yeah, this is definitely something that is attainable kind of thing? I think, I'm trying to, do you know what, I'm, I don't, I can't, this is be a really boring answer. I can't think of like, because by that point I'd, al- I'd already long had the whole, this is what I want to do kind of yeah, yeah. thing. But then I just never quite found myself in, in in a band where it was actually doing well. So I think I kind of was getting a bit of the sort of hard knocks kind of vibes. Right, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, if I did go to like some, I'm trying to think if there were any like standout. There was a band called Kill Canada, who was this incredible kind of right up my street kind of fuzzy sounding band. And I, th- I remember seeing them at a place called Hector's House and a place called Freebutt down here. It's just like a long mm. gone venue. And it was really busy and it was like, exactly my kind of music and I definitely I think at that point it was like I've got to you know really try hard at this thing and then the scene kind of changed like people stopped liking that kind of fuzzy stuff yeah um and I kind of just stopped I didn't stop playing the bands but I just stopped trying to really really take it that seriously for a while for a few years it was only when I then moved up mm-hmm. to London and joined this this other band that was doing much more kind of indie sounding stuff that I really got back on the you know trying to do a band kind of thing Mm. Um, so then in terms of like as you say like your kind of sort of first sort of steppings into playing music was that that band that you did with Jim that two piece was that kind of like your first sort of band of note or was there anything before that so I definitely had really crap 16 year old kind of like grunge (laughs) metal bands that I probably wouldn't even worth mentioning but where we just done a couple of gigs to just mates and stuff like that but yeah this band was the first band where I was like oh I'm like in a band in a band kind of thing yeah um but it was just a two-piece. It was called Exxon Valdez. It was really fuzzy and sort of sound like Mud Honey and Pavement combined. And yeah, that was probably the first. And Jim's a little bit older than me. And he, Jim's like the best musician you'll ever meet. So he kind of, I think he, I was like this like rough kind of, didn't really know what I was doing personally. And Jim was like this kick me in the shape like kind of guy. And um, <laughs> yeah, that was really, really, it was really fun. Like just, I, I don't think we were that good, but it was really fun. <laughs> So did you do kind of, was it just more sort of like doing local shows or did you yeah. kind of go out of town? It didn't do any of that. It was just proper in Brighton. I didn't have, I didn't have any understanding of like the sort of business side at all. So it was really like, you know, we were just doing it just to have fun kind of, kind of thing. Like it was, mm. you know, I, obviously there were times when I was like, oh, it'd be great if we could actually do more. But it was only for about, I think about two years. And yeah, we, we didn't nail the business side at all. So we just played like <laughs> local small shows like pretty much. Fair enough. Yeah. So in in terms of, because I always like to find like where people's kind of route of sort of touring and stuff like that. So what was the kind of first sort of like band that you did any kind of like out of town stuff or kind of like weekenders or even like extensive tours? What, what was that like? Uh, I would say, I mean, Beach Heart is honestly the, the first band that's actually properly, properly happened before. I, this band I was right, in, okay. um, in London for like a good four years called Shiners, which was really, really, it was kind of a brick poppy indie band and I was playing bass. That was the first sort of band that actually, we, yeah, we, I, we gigged out of town and we, we didn't be really tour, but because we never quite got to that stage, but we, it was very serious, you know, we took it really seriously and we started to mm. Do I thought we did really good shows and, and we, it was mainly all around London, but we did a couple like around town. I think we played up in um, Tea in the Park up in Scotland, which was really oh, cool. that, that was my first like festival kind of thing. Um, mm. but, so yeah, that was but that was 
it, it came quite late, really. It wasn't like 16-year-old Rory. That was like 25-year-old Rory <laughs> doing, like, <laughs> yeah. like, like doing that. And um, yeah, it taught me loads. I mean, it's, it's, it wasn't like the music I'd grown up loving, but I got really, really into it. And, and I mm. think without that, I wouldn't be able to, like Beach Right wouldn't exist because I think I've mar- managed to kind of marry the sort of fuzzy, dissonant, you know, kind of don't give a fuck, just amazing energy kind of thing with hopefully with a bit more of like polished and like mm. actually really, really trying to do a proper vibe and yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned obviously moving to, to London. So what was, was that for, for uni or was it just a kind of like, I want to get out of town kind it was, of thing? Yeah, or? it was just get out. It was at that point, it was like Brighton, as, as incredible as Brighton is, it's definitely a small town. So I got a bit kind of like, I need to just go off and kind of spread the wings a bit. And I, I didn't, I, I wanted to go and play music and I thought London would be a great place. And I had a friend who just moved there. So I just went up and I went and did do a degree, like a foundation degree in mm. music production, but I kind of only did it to be able to just move to London and, and not have not have a job. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I didn't, it wasn't like a career plan. It was just like this way I can spend two years, you know, not worrying about working and, and just try and play music kind of thing. Mm. So that's why. So in terms of like, because you mentioned then kind of joining Shiners, but was there anything in the in the interim, like band-wise, that you kind of yeah, like, started I, I, off your own back? Or? So I had another two-piece, which was called Eat Off Your Arms, <laughs> with uh, nice, yeah, which is kind of like Exxon Valdez, but maybe a bit more polished, but similar kind of just loud, sort of noisy kind of sound sort of stuff, mm. um, which was for a couple of years, but again, didn't actually, we didn't do anything more than play like the Dublin Castle kind of, kind of vibes um and then i did another really really bad embarrassing band i'm not even going to say the name but that was like <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's all it all is part of the story and you know it all has you can pull things from all those experiences yeah yeah i definitely would never play anyone <laughs> any music from that band. awful but it got me to shiners which then got me to beat shite so it's definitely had its had its merits mm. so in terms of like shiners then was it a thing that already existed before you joined kind so of no so they so the, so the drummer lenny and the, and the frontman and guitarist jamie had been in bands for years and years and years and mm. they had this idea you know they wanted to start this a new band and they had some demos but they they didn't it wasn't called shiners it was just like a random name it was called the queen's english and it was just like we're just going to call ourselves this for a while whilst we get a band together and write a load of songs and then we're going to sort of launch ourselves as whatever we decided to be so at that stage it was just those two and a, and a keys player like a Hammond organ player and um, okay I just saw an ad asking like asking for a bassist and I'd never played bass before but I just lied and said yeah I can do that and like <laughs> somehow they very they very kindly when I rocked up were like he seems okay he seems he's learned the songs so he can he can play them and I didn't even think I think Lenny only found out I hadn't played bass before about a year ago I don't I never actually told them, I don't, I don't think. But, um, but yeah, so I just thought, so yeah, it was like a new, you know, they had some great songs. Jamie's a really, really good songwriter. So that was a really, really fun thing to do. And I'm quite out of my comfort zone, which was, which was really good as well, because I'd never done that kind of music before. It was much more, you couldn't just whack on a fuzz pedal and do what you want. You know, it was very like rigid. Like rigid and, and Yeah, yeah. You know, and really, really good. It was very like musical. It's, it's kind of the, what, the word I'm looking for. Like they love stuff like... Um, they loved the Stranglers. They loved Elvis Costello. Loved the Police. It was a mm. lot of okay. uh, yeah, and it introduced me to this whole other side of music that I just somehow had just never 
found myself listening to and I got really into that for a while. It was, mm. really, it was really fun. And you mentioned that it was kind of a bit more like you took, the band took itself quite seriously in terms of mm. like, I guess, sort of dr- drive and, and wanting to sort of go out and do something as you say, I'll bring up to you in the park in a moment because I think that was a very much moment in time. In, yeah, in festivals so. it was the last one but, actually, the last tea in the park. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but like, obviously, in terms of kind of coming from like a background of like that sort of like grunge sort of like, uh, like not not sounding polished and like it <clears> being okay to be rough around the edges to to something that's taking itself a bit more seriously and maybe has a bit more of a a focused direction yeah. was that an interesting sort of thing for you yeah. to kind of change change into yeah i found it really exciting because it was just i was just this quite i think i was just quite naive before that and so you know previous to that i was just like you just make a band and you play songs and you play gigs and if you're lucky like maybe you'll get you'll get somewhere whereas this yeah the first thing where it was jamie was is really really on it with the whole business side and like you know, having having an image and having a plan and being really well rehearsed and just all the kind of stuff that 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 I think is quite important. And and I, at the time, I found it really exciting because I'd just never done anything like that. And I was, I remember thinking, like, oh God, we're gonna, this is how you do it. Like there there is another mm. path that I just didn't know about. Um, so it taught me loads. And yeah, it was definitely very. So I mean, I think I've steered it a bit away from that actually with Beach Riot now, mm. but it was really fun at the time. It was really good. Mm. And because obviously, like, as you say, that was very much like a sound of the time, like, and people was like, I don't, I don't want to say like, it was like the Vogue thing, but there were a lot of yeah, bands. It definitely was. Kind of... Yeah, it was like, I don't know if you remember a band called Superfood or, uh, or yeah, Pe- yeah. like Peace. And it, de- no, it definitely was. And I think if anything, when I look back on it, it was, it was, we were just a bit too late for that. Like, I think that stuff had already kind of been around for maybe like a year. And then we were trying to do that kind of thing and like I've, I've actually moved away from that whole being really really like business-minded regiment like I think there's there's merit in being sort of on it and being organized but, mm. you, can, but you can also lose a bit of the fun if you kind of overthink what do you think people are going to like and then you try and do something to fit that yeah um, yeah I think that's actually not a good thing to do but yeah it was it was quite off the time yeah for sure mm. but the reason I, I bring that up because like there was obviously like a an appetite for it and like a lot of people sort of got into it and and obviously you had various bands that had like really big success but then there was some that maybe didn't kind of like even get on the board sort of thing and it kind of sounds like you were kind of in a midpoint in that sort of thing so like i don't know was it strange to kind of like be part of that wave and see people kind of giving your band a bit of attention because you say like having the opportunity to play bigger shows and things like that where you'd come from brighton maybe where you would just play like the local pub sort of thing yeah was it a strange evolution for you to see yeah definitely sorry i've got a cat really suddenly (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it was yeah it was i i think i i think i did sort of naively think that we're gonna be we're gonna be a massive band because all the songs are really good and this and it's the right time and um Definitely playing things like Tea in the Park was really, really exciting. And I thought, you know, this is going to happen. And then there was a bit of a, then almost like a kickback from that as time went on to be like, oh, we're not, we're not breaking through. Like, why, why, yeah, yeah. You know, why is this not happening? 
And um, yeah, it was, but it was definitely really, really exciting to, to, to take that approach that I just never taken before to, to a band. Mm. Like taught me a ton. Mm. And if we kind of touch on Tea in the Park, because as I said, like, I remember sort of in my sort of like late teens, early twenties, like that was, I don't know, it was kind of seen as like, like the quote unquote radio festival in terms of yeah. like a lot of like sort of like breakthrough bands would play it, and like it would get a lot of sort of like uh sort of media attention through like radio advertising and stuff like that and so yeah. it was quite a big deal so yeah big time but first and foremost like how did you guys kind of get onto it and secondly like what was that experience like so it was part of it was bbc introducing and it was because jamie and lenny and the bat like half the band were from norwich from norfolk and so mm. even though we were in london he was we, they were still able to sort of go through the, the Norfolk BBC introducing right, channels. Okay. And so they picked us to I think, yeah, for for, for when the festival season comes around, like all the sort of local presenters will pitch bands to go and play whatever festival. So we got we got on it by that route. And yeah, it was like I mean I remember they on Radio One, like they, they would do a rundown of all the bands playing the stage. And so we got like a couple of plays on Radio One, which was at the time massive for us and six music and stuff like that. And and then to go up and play it. It was, you know, it was weird. It was it was half incredible and half a bit of an anticlimax actually. Because tea, <laughs> it was like it was like the end. It was the last tea in the park before they sucked. Because I think a couple of they had a couple of deaths at the festival that year. I think, and it was. Well, I remember getting there, and it actually felt really like disorganized, and it was just a bit okay. of a, a bit of a mud bath. And it was we got there, and we we're like, oh, this is not actually the kind of. I don't know what I thought it would be, but it just wasn't quite this incredible, like, you're in a band and you're playing this festival. It was more just like, yeah, yeah. You know, you're on that stage, go there. But I mean, it was the first time I ever played like a really, what to me was a really big stage, you know, especially playing bass, like to, to feel a bass in a massive, massive, you know, festival tent was like, mm. it was nuts. Um, so that was super, super exciting. Yeah. So, in like, I guess in terms of that, because. Obviously, we'll get onto where Beach Riot is in a moment, but you've kind of like touched upon like kind of the stuff you've learned from Shiners to, to kind of how you've brought that over to Beach Riot. But like, I don't know, like, I don't want to say that because you'd kind of got to that stage with Shiners and you were kind of playing these bigger shows that when Beach Riot started, you were kind of expecting that. But like, I don't know, like, having that experience did that kind of set you up to sort of like be like right this is something to aim for in the future yeah. or was it just an experience that you kind of like right that's been and done now on to the next thing kind of thing no it definitely it just showed me that like because like i said i've never done anything like that before so it just showed me that like okay there is a way to somehow you know obviously you've got to be you've got to be good and you've got to love what you're doing but there is a there is a chance to actually go off and do some cool stuff and um mm. i definitely think i carried that out so when i started beach Light, I, I didn't want to do the full on, we have to look like this and we have to rehearse 10 times a week. And we have to, I didn't want to do all that because I actually got a bit, yeah. I kind of didn't like that side of Shiners. I wanted, I wanted to keep the kind of, you know, music, music to me should be, you just play what you love. And then, you know, if things follow on from that, then that's great. But then I definitely took just a little bit of the kind of, um, I don't know what's the business side is the right word for it. Cause, but like just that, trying to be smart about how you play, like what shows to play, like what small shows to play and what, and how, yeah. often, and how often to play. And 
when to release a song and, and, and how to package it up and stuff like that in those really early days. So I like to think I managed to marry a bit of the two worlds together. Mm. So then in terms of like when Beach Riot sort of like came to, to form, I know that obviously in the sort of early stage, it was you and Cami that kind of like got things sort of going. But like, <laughs> Rather than sort of like go through step by step how it kind of came to be, the question I want to ask is sort of like in terms of the sound, and I think like as I said earlier on, it's quite clear to kind of make that through line of you getting into Nirvana and Paper yeah. to where we are now, sort of thing. So when you guys kind of like first wanted to kind of start the band, was that a conversation that you had like right? These are the influences that I'm bringing to the table. This is what I want it to sound like, or did the sound just evolve naturally? No, it was a very, very like, it was a decision that like, cause basically there's, there's, there's an incredible band called D-Mob Happy, who yeah. I saw them in like, I guess it must've been like 2015 or maybe, yeah, it's probably like 2015. And they were down in Brighton as well at the time. And that was my first little rumblings of like, oh my God, this band's doing what I love, but, mm. they're, but they're actually doing really, really well. It was the first time in years I'd seen a band like making this kind of music that was actually starting to make a bit of waves. And that really kicked me into going, okay, it's time to just go back and do just the music that you love. So I definitely had about three or four songs with that I sent to like, that I actually recorded with Jim and Johnny, who obviously are bass drummer now, but I, I, yeah. I had this stupid idea at the time that I had to be based in London and they were both down in Brighton. So I okay. recorded a couple of songs with them just in like a rehearsal room, but then went back to London and found Cammy and was kind of like, right, we need to find a bassist and drummer up here in London with us. And um, we, we tried about four or five drummers and none of them could play Johnny's drum parts. <laughs> and and <laughs> after a while, Cammy was like, why don't you just use Jim and Johnny? Like they're, they're amazing. And I was like, okay, I'm being really stupid. Like, yeah, we'll just use Jim and Johnny. But, yeah, I, def <laughs> I definitely did have a very set, like, it's going to be with two, we both had a big muff, like Fuzz, Jim had big fuzz in his face, and I was just like, we are going to make loud, noisy, hopefully catchy, fuzzy music that is just unashamedly, you know, references all the stuff that, that we love. Because I think it almost became like a, for me anyway, like, loving like all those sort of bands like Nirvana and Mudhoney and things like that felt almost a bit of a dirty... I don't know why, but I was a bit ashamed to sort of say that to just wear it on my sleeve for a long time when I was up in London. Mm. And I don't really know why. And so this was like a real liberating thing to just be like, no, fuck it. This is the music that I really, really love. And I don't care if you think he's just ripping off bands like that. Like, this is what I really enjoy playing. So we're yeah. just, just going to do that. And if, if people like it, then that's really awesome. And if people don't like it, then, you know, that doesn't matter because it should be about having fun. So yeah, there definitely was a very set direction. And in terms of like, you said you kind of had that mentality of like, I need to be in London because this is kind of where sort of music happens for lack yeah. of a better term. Yeah. Sort of thing. <laughs> like, I don't know, do you, I, I don't want to say that it stunted it because obviously like you're kind of growing now, but like, was there kind of an, an element of like stubbornness from, from your point of yeah. view as, uh, at the beginning that you like, no, I need to be here rather than like letting the band grow kind of naturally you know in some what? aspects. With Beach Light, I would say there wasn't actually, because I think by that point I'd gone, I'd gone full circle on that and, and I'd sort of come to realise that you don't have to be that old cliche thing of like, that's where all the labels are, that's where all the industry yeah. has got to be there. So by the time I started Beach Light, I was already thinking I could really want to move back to Brighton. And because bands like d okay. were down here and Tiger Club were down here, 
and um like just a couple of other sort of those kind of bands so I, I actually was mm. like it was the opposite it was like fuck we need to get down to brighton now because this is what this is where <laughs> yeah. this is kicking off and and we don't want to miss out on you know this scene that's happening there so yeah no it was the, it was the opposite it was we pretty much i think we started it in our first gig was in april 2017 and i think we moved down here in september 2017 so it was, right, really, okay. it was really quick actually to get back down here mm. and in terms of kind of like that sort of moving back to brighton and kind of so i guess getting like the wheels in motion sort of thing the the one element i want to bring is obviously because you've previously done music with with jim obviously with that mm. two-piece sort of thing so i don't know like because you'd kind of already experienced like stuff with, with him and done bands with him, what was he kind of like an obvious choice to, to bring in or like, I don't know, was it something, the, a conversation you'd had with him? Like how did it kind of so it was be like, to marry so for the, it? Sort so, of thing? so for the dem, when I first, when I was still in London and I was still in Shiners and I just started having the, like the, like, um, but these ideas that I should do my own thing. When I first recorded the first little demos with Jim and Johnny, it was definitely the obvious choice at that time to be like, mm. who do I know who's really, really amazing, who's going to, you know, polish these sort of rough edges that I've made. And so at that stage, it was definitely like, these these are the guys for for, the, for recording these songs. But I, like I said earlier, I did have that slight stubbornness for some reason of whilst I'm in London, the band should all be in London. And then as soon yeah. as I kind of, I think as soon as we, I got over that, it was just an absolute no-brainer that it was like you, Jim and John because Jim and Johnny were at that point playing in another band together, so they were mm. just like the most you know super tight rhythm section. So it was just an, it was just <laughs> yeah. it kind of was just an absolute no-brainer. Like the all the history between us, all the fact that they're amazing, all the music you know tastes are just all aligned. We just all had this same kind of approach of like let's just have fun doing the music that yeah. we love kind of kind of vibe. So yeah, it was mm. it, it was like a very obvious choice. And because we've kind of mentioned the Brighton scene in in passing, but obviously, like you mentioned, sort of like <laughs> discovering that there were these bands in Brighton that were doing what you kind of wanted to do. And I think like if we kind of bring it a bit more sort of like up to date as where we are at the moment, like Brighton is, as I, as I mentioned, it's very eclectic in its music scene and has, has got quite a big music scene going. So... Did you find like, in terms of like you playing shows and stuff, did you find a home like in Brighton quite quickly? And did you find that a lot of people were gravitating towards Beach Riot? I think I think everything the stars aligned when I moved down here and I and I, start, <laughs> I started making coffee like a run my own little coffee shack at BIM, right? Which is like a music university down here, and that that was in that was literally the within two weeks of moving down here, I was starting this thing up at BIM. And all the first year students of that year, all a lot of them were into this kind of music. And it just, it was just this mm. perfect marrying of like, you know, every day I'd be chatting to these, these like guys and girls and, and like I start playing in my band and they'd be forming bands and they'd all be forming fuzzy kind of bands. And so I'm not gonna lie, like it definitely was, it helped that those, the first sort of gigs down here in Brighton were rammed full of BIM kids. And, and we just, mm. we, I think we just made our own sort of scene basically based out of my coffee shack. And, oh, like, okay. and that just really helped sort of, I mean, it's a bit jammy when I look back at it because it kind of sped up that whole process of like, <laughs> hey, we're a new band in town and already the venue's kind of half full with people jumping around and moshing around and stuff like that, which is just really good good timing, I guess. Mm. And Chrissy, you mentioned sort of BIM and that being kind of like a, 
sort of like a hub sort of thing and obviously with your kind of connection to it in in some aspects like i don't want to say that that's kind of like the reason beach right is where it is but like i don't know like having that kind of like already established fan base mm-hmm. because like again brighton is a musical town like did that kind of i don't know like from your perspective because you were already getting a bit of attention did that kind of like then put that focus not kind of like what you were saying earlier with shiners but like you kind of put that focus on like oh people are paying attention to this i can move it in a direction that i want it to and and push it a bit further than just being a brighton band yeah massively so we so like i think we did our first headline show in the start of 2018 so it's only like four months into being down here and mm. it was it was full of these bin kids jumping around and going nuts. And it happened that Melita, who's a local BBC introducing DJ, uh, came to that yeah. gig. And she obviously walks into the room and just sees a packed room of people going nuts. And, and she, and she <laughs> yeah. loves this kind of music as well. So it, all, it was properly, like, everything kind of lined up and she started really getting behind us. And she, she actually put us on, we played Reading and Leeds that year. Um, mm. because of her recommending. And that was definitely the moment that I was like, okay. So again, kind of going from like, not trying to be, well, trying to be super serious with Shiners, starting Beach Light and just trying to have fun. And then being like, oh, actually there's a room for the kids here and singing all our songs at us. And now we're playing on BBC Introduced and stuff. Then it was like, oh, okay, maybe we can do this. Like proper, proper yeah. do this. So then started to get a bit more serious about that side of it. Sure. And in terms of like the kind of, you mentioned earlier like the idea of sort of like imagery and and stuff like that not saying that like with beach right you wanted to sort of have like oh we need to look a certain way and things like that but like the aesthetic like outwardly in terms of like artwork and things like that there is kind of like uh, a through line and continuity sort of thing Mm. so what was the kind of like thinking behind that and like what did you have like a specific like idea that you wanted because like Without this sounding cliche, obviously you're called Beach Riot, you're from mm. Brighton. Like the obvious would be to kind of like, I don't know, have a spin on like Brighton themes, but mm. like you don't necessarily have that. And there's a bit of like fun and bubbliness to the artwork, but it's still yeah. a bit gritty. So was that kind of like where you like you were getting from? What were you kind of like channeling, yeah. channeling <laughs> in that sort of like aspect? So I definitely wanted the the not so serious, you know, I, like we do have a couple of photos like this, but I really try to steer us away from that. We need to do a band photo, therefore we have to stand yeah. in a line looking really cool. Like I didn't, I definitely wanted to move it away from that. And, um, and kind of like soft the colors and, and not trying to be all dark and moody and quote unquote cool. And then, and I mean, Jim, all the artwork's done by, by Jim, basis Jim. He's, he's, right, he's okay. just one of those good at everything bastards. It's like, you know, amazing singer, amazing bassist, amazing songwriter, amazing guitarist. He can drum, he can drum and sing. And he also does freaking graphic design. And, and like, <laughs> so, but that's been amazing because as soon as he did, I can't remember whatever the first single was that he did the artwork for, but as soon as he did that, we were all like, that's the look that we want. And so he's managed to carry mm. that through for everything since. So yeah. That's cool. But yeah, I definitely, again, it was a conscious decision to be like, let's just make it, I want it to be, soft and kind of like a little bit gritty but not but not co- not cool if that makes sense yeah 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 but, yeah um, no i get you and yeah yeah so that was like a, a conscious choice sure mm. 
And just, I want to talk about Reading and Leeds in a moment, but just because you've brought up your, your coffee shack, I want to kind of <laughs> dig into that a bit more. Like, first and foremost, where did that kind of, like, idea come from? And, and like, I don't know, is it just, like, you off your own back? Like, how where did that all kind of come into So from? I was working for a, for a guy in London making coffee, making that specialty coffee, and it was originally on a coffee cart in a, in a park near the bar. Right. And then we moved into, like, a, like a hut. And when I moved, so, and then I got obsessed with coffee and, and decided that this is like the greatest thing to do separate to music. It was like the mm. first, the first job I ever did where I was like, it actually didn't really feel like a job. I just loved doing it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So when I, so the plan was to, when I moved to Brighton, was like, I'll start my own thing somewhere. I'll probably work in a coffee shop for a while and I'll try and find a space. And like, it just worked out that I emailed Bim and my, my sister works with Bim and I emailed Bim, okay. the, the principal, and was kind of like, you've got an empty car park next to your building you don't have any coffee thing on site would you let me just put a coffee cart and a gazebo up and luckily even though i nearly set the place on fire the first the, oh, first, the first week i was there i was like running i was outside on this coffee cart that my old boss had lent me and um under a gazebo and I had to run the power inside and it was like this you know 30 meter long extension cable and we were running like a freaking coffee machine, like a commercial coffee machine and a grinder and a rate, all this way over the top into just one wall socket. And um, the thing set on fire and melted and smoked and like set on fire. It was really bad. (laughs) And um, So that was like week two. And this was like my kind of trial period of like, you know, will you let me do this thing? But luckily by that point, even at that early stage, like the students really liked having this space they can hang out. So the print, yeah. so they kind of let me off, and, and it's kind of just evolved from that. Like I've built like a floor out of pallets, and then I've now moved into like an actual shack that is just there, and um, yeah, it's become a really really cool thing. That's cool. So just in terms of like shit at the moment, like obviously with the pandemic and stuff, like how have you been able to kind of like deal with with those side of things? And, and did you kind of, have you kind of been keeping it open in terms of like takeaways and stuff like that? Like what what's all happening with it? It's that been side of things it's been fucking awful <laughs> because it was like <laughs> i haven't been there since so last march we were on tour when everything kicked off and i would have been going back mm. after march for the last term but that obviously didn't happen and then off all through the summer which i'm normally off anyway yeah over the summer. and then went back i did about two months september october i might have done a bit in november but it was much much like reduced because no one was really allowed on site and, and it was only like every socially distance all that sort of stuff and then since then i've, I've been shut so it's been I'm not gonna lie, it's been hard. I've worked like yeah, yeah. two months out of the past year. It's been really crap. But luckily, there's like the sort of self-employed grants that the government's done sort of reluctantly, I think. It's just, <laughs> just about ticked over. Like, but no, I, yeah, I'm desperate to get back. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, just in terms of like, oh, we'll, we'll go with Reading and Leeds Fair just because you brought it up. So, obviously, in terms of like, You've mentioned obviously doing tea in the park, so you kind of had some experience doing the bigger festivals. Mm. But because at this point Beach Riot was a very kind of young band and sort mm. of had only maybe had was the EP out by this point? Oh, it was before that. Yeah. So yeah. so like very minimal kind of outputs. Yeah, yeah. So what was that experience like? Kind of going in because whereas obviously with. Team the Park Shiners was a bit more maybe established. This mm. is something that's brand new. Yeah. I don't know. Did that kind of take some of the pressure away from it? 
think it did. Yeah, that's a good point. It did actually in a way because it was just it was like how have we managed to get to? And it was quite high up as well. We were like the third band, I think, on on the introducing stage. But it was Reading and Leeds is like it's. I think it's it's changed a lot as a festival since maybe twenty mm. years ago. But it still has that. It's just such an iconic and like especially yeah, yeah. for me and Jim. Both Jim's the same as me. Like like. It's fucking Nirvana is pretty much up there. It's not nearly number one band, and um, obviously they it's they're such an iconic band to headline that festival. So I've always I've always wanted to play it, and I've never managed it. And like I thought I would do it in Shiners, and just stuff never happened. And we never it never happened. And I would go there every year, and every year I'd be like, next year I'm gonna play Reading, and it just <laughs> never ever ever happened. And then so for so when that was when we found out at Beach Light, it's just an absolute like dream 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 like yeah yeah literally you could finish the band the next day and i would die (laughs) i care i've played reading and that's all that matters so it was amazing amazing and yeah because i guess because we were very new and quite quite young and fresh face it did feel kind of like you know no one really probably is going to know us here so we're just going to go out there and just have a really really good time which is what we did Mm. Um, and did like people kind of because obviously like with festivals obviously you've got like your headliners that everybody's going to go and check out but i th- i find like one of the best things about festivals is going to the smaller stages and checking out bands that you maybe not necessarily have heard of so did you find that was the case did you have like many people kind of coming it was, yeah it was because it's like and, it, and it's not in a tent at reading it's like a well you're you're in like the stage but it's it's kind of where just people just walk past and it definitely yeah it did yeah it was really good they did quite a bit i wouldn't say i'm not going to pretend it was like super rammed or anything like that but there were really decent amount of people there and we found when we've then since been touring and stuff every now and then someone would just come up and be like oh i saw you guys at, at reading and it's the same yeah, with truck. Yeah. we did truck festival and it's a similar thing where you just it, you kind of don't appreciate how much people do discover you at festivals because maybe mm. we're not at a level yet where we're like you know rounding out like like um, venues or anything so when someone comes up and says oh i saw you at reading on truck you're like you kind of really appreciate the importance of playing those festivals at that stage yeah yeah um, so yeah that's been really cool and, it, and I think it just elevates, it's just like, it's just another notch of, of like, almost like validation to your band when, mm. when, when you're like, oh, we've played Reading Leeds or we're going to play it. Or something. <laughs> yeah. It just puts you up just slightly a bit to be like, yeah, maybe, maybe we're doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, because you mentioned like, obviously Beach Road is kind of the first band that you've been kind of going out on tours and, and so on and so forth with. Mm. So I always kind of find it interesting what people kind of like, their first experience of touring and kind of things like that. So those early kind of beach riot tours, what what were they kind of like and kind of did they kind of meet? And I, I don't mean this to sound like you've kind of got any sort of sense of an ego because you've played Reading and Leeds or you've played Tea in the Park in the past, but because obviously you're going to be going out playing these smaller venues kind of thing, what was it kind of like? Was it sort of, I don't know, did you have any expectations to what, to to expect when you hit the I, road or was it just all a, a part of the learning curve kind yeah of all a part of the learning curve and like i i was that so our first tour was in november 2019 i think no yeah like september no late october november 2019 and um it was a headline tour even though it's small like small obviously a small venue mm. and i was just like i was scared that like there'd be no one there and i i was just content with like we're just gonna just the four of us just gonna go and have a really good time driving around playing you know playing our songs and and actually it was really really cool like most of the shows were like quite busy and 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 we had like quite a lot of people who already had 
like knew us, which was really cool. And like, mm. it, it definitely was better than I thought actually, because like being up in Manchester and there might only be, maybe we play, I think maybe we played like 30 or 40 people, but 10 of them would like, yeah. would like be singing the songs back at you. And that's, I've never that's had that. Cool. Yeah, and I've never had that before. And that was a really like humbling and a really like, I don't know, just like, just a nice, just such a nice sort of <laughs> nourishing feeling of like, ah, oh, mm. this, this is much better than I, I thought I was going to be playing to like three people. <laughs> you know all yeah. around the country and I, and I and i was kind of okay with that i was like the fact that we're doing it it's just really awesome so it actually was better than i thought it would be um, mm. and yeah i don't know maybe it's just the right timing but it was, it was really good yeah and in terms of like you said that going out sort of okay it might have been smaller venues but like doing a headline tour straight off the bat like i think some bands obviously varying sort of sizes and stuff they'll, they'll choose to do like a support slot or something like that or they might do a couple of weekenders before they do the the headline tour sort mm. of thing but did you was that a conscious effort like on your part that you wanted to do a headline tour off your own back or was it just a case of again the, the stars aligned kind of thing i think it was more the second one like yeah i i never thought i mean so basically that summer we managed to get a, a really cool booking agent and right and he obviously booked this first tour and i remember him when he said like we're going to do a, a headline tour we were all a bit like are we like are we not are we ready but like are we at that point yet that we should be doing yeah a, yeah a headline tour? and um yeah i, I think it, i don't think it was fine like I, I don't see why you can you can't do that as long as you can plan it well enough and have the right kind of bands and be aware that like yeah so if you play in leeds maybe there's not gonna be that many people there that, that know you so you have to really work hard on the support bands to make sure that it's the right kind of gig um we we would love to do some support tours just yet to this is one of those things that's not yet happened for us actually but we're definitely mm. i really think that's still a really valuable route that we need to get on and, and hopefully do yeah and obviously if we kind of bring it to sort of current sort of where you are at the moment sort of thing obviously records coming out later this year sort of thing so in terms of like sonically, how do you kind of feel? Is it an evolution from the EP and stuff like you've done? What what would you kind of give me your like elevator pitch for? for <laughs> I think so. A lot of that EP stuff was actually done in a rehearsal room, <laughs> like record, oh, okay. recording wise. Like, well, I say a lot. Of, there's only four songs, but like three of them I think were done just in a. Whereas this is like you know the properly done in a proper studio. Like, yeah. So I'd say it's like still Beach Riot. And it, like, I really want to have that energy and that kind of light in the feeling that you want to be live watching this. We're a live band, but just just recorded properly and captured really well. And we've tried to be a lot more, like, I'm trying to take the production, like, I, I don't want to just be like, it's rock. Like, like when, when yeah. you know, there's an <laughs> yeah. opportunity to do something really, really cool with some of the songs. So I definitely think there's going to be some things on there that hopefully people listen to and be like, wow, that's that's a really cool sound that you've got going on there. Mm. Um, but yeah, Beach right on steroids, I would say. <laughs> and in terms of like where, obviously, with the pandemic, like everyone's kind of in a bit of a weird place and, and stuff like that, like, I don't know, from your perspective, because obviously Beach Right had a bit of momentum going, in, as you've mentioned, sort of like you, you literally just finished tour when everything had mm. kind of hit sort of thing so i don't know when the realization that this is going to last a little bit longer than everyone first expected mm. did you guys kind of think right okay this is a good time for us to kind of pause and 
put more focus into the into the debut record or was there sort of like a, a kind of scrambling like right what do we do now sort of thing like where were your where were your heads at at that I point mean, it, i would say it was more the okay this, this is clearly going to go on a bit longer than, than everyone thought it was and we'd already been talk, mm. talking about the idea of doing an album and so yeah it, it was kind of like okay we're probably going to be off for the next you know how many months doing nothing mm. this is the perfect time to, to get in and do that and be able to really put the time and, and effort into an album so it's definitely yeah. more that side of it but i'm a massive worry worry like in my nature <laughs> so i've been yeah. i've hated it so much because like i have to keep reminding myself that everyone is in the same boat because i'm the kind of person yeah yeah, that, yeah you know my mind i'm like we were just getting to this cool point what if you know it would have been potentially a year and a half i think by the time we could start doing stuff again what if all those people mm. have just disappeared i keep having to like remind myself that all band it's not like any it's not like we're being left behind you know, every band is in exactly the same position yeah yeah waiting. yeah um, but it's weighs on my mind a lot yeah like what's it going to be like because I, I could see it both ways i could see us doing this first round of gigs and them being rammed because everyone's just been so starved of this thing and everyone's desperate and then there's the negative side of my brain that it's like we're going to do it and no, and no one's going to remember who beats right <laughs> <laughs> And I'm, really never, I'm sure that won't be the case. Hopefully the, the other one, because we'll have an album and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's been a great thing to focus on, though, because I think if it wasn't for having this and, and it's been really, it's been quite nice having so much time to, you know, normally you're like the release date is at this point. So you have to get the mix done and it has to be mastered. You yeah. Have artwork, all that stuff. So it's it's been quite nice just being like, we've got 10 months to... <laughs> record and mix. Yeah. I mean it's bad in some ways as well because you, you just go back constantly and you're like ah oh, maybe maybe I could put a hand clap at one minute 32 <laughs> maybe that would be good but in general it's been really it's been great having that to focus on and yeah feel like you're still in a band that's cool um, and obviously in terms of the record coming out obviously it's coming up through Alcopop so how yeah. did the kind of relationship with, with them come about? So that was because we're really, really good mates of a band called Gaffer Tape Sandy, who are a Brighton band, who are mm. on, they're just like the most amazing band you'll ever see. And they're on Alco Pop. And um, I kind of just took a punt. I'm not going to lie, my, all the way through Beach Right, my other main, if I had a mission statement, it would probably at the top would be like, just fuck it, take a punt <laughs> and just send <laughs> send that random email that just, you know, like you, you might send a hundred emails and maybe you only got one reply, but that one reply could be, you know, Alcopop. And it was kind of like that. I, yeah, just, yeah. I just sent Jack, uh, who's, who runs Alcopop, a Twitter message just being like, you know, that really awkward, cheesy, like, hi, we really love you, you know, <laughs> you, you guys. <laughs> and, like, and I do, like, I, they've got some, they've got a band called DZ Death Rose on Alcopop, who I've loved for years and years. So I've always thought it's a really cool, cool label. And um, I just took a punt and sent a, sent a message and, like, luckily Jack replied. It was like, you're, you know, your songs sound really cool. Let's meet up and have a chat. And, we met up and he really liked it and then it just yeah that was that that's cool yeah. so just in terms of like obviously the release like the first single you've done is obviously blush and obviously you did the the beer that kind of came out with it as well yeah. so i don't know like because i think like not just now but like in general sort of bands are always kind of coming up with different things that they can kind of think of to sort of like market or promote mm. their bands and I think like any kind of item of unique merch is going to sort of bring a bit of attention sort of thing. So I don't know, was there that subconscious or even conscious thought of like, 
this is a bit quirky, this is a bit weird, people will dig it, or I don't know, was there was there less thought into it, sort of? Thing? No, there was definite. There was definite. If we send a Radio One DJ a beer, then it's got to play you thought. <laughs> <laughs> And that turned out to be kind of true. But no, yeah, it was like Ellie, our manager, is really, really great with this kind of stuff. And Jack as well. It's like Jack's on loads of really cool, like every, if you look back at all the Apple releases, they do really clever, quirky kind of stuff. And uh, it just fits in perfectly with the ethos of the band to be like, you've just got an opportunity on every release to just do something. Because like in the past, I've always done like a video, but I've, I don't mm. know, like, it could be that my videos are shit. Or, or it could be that no one cares about videos anymore. But I've just—it's never done anything like yet. Yeah, yeah, least, I know what you mean. You know, and I like to think we've over the years I've thought of kind of cool ideas, but for whatever reason, it's never worked. So just kind of thinking, rather than maybe spending a bit of money on doing that, you could do something way, way more cool and unique. And so it's kind of comes from that. So I think we're doing. Actually, maybe I'm not allowed to say. There's something quirky for the next single, for example. Okay. And, um, and we'll definitely try and do something for the album. And I think we'll just keep that up because I just think it's like, it just feels more now. To be, it's really hard to cut through, isn't it? Like you're your one band amongst how many thousands yeah, of bands. Yeah. And it's just one extra thing that's just like, and it's really fun to look back and be like, hey, do you remember when we did a beer, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And what was the kind of like response to it like? Because really I've good. got to be to- totally honest, I I don't drink, so it's not okay. my cup of tea. But like, were were people into it? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, we did the first rounds, I think, and they sold out within a couple of hours. And so we had to do an, oh, like, another cool. round, which was really really cool. And um, yeah, definitely a few DJs sent us Instagram messages like, "Thanks very much <laughs> for the bit." And then suddenly you're on this. That helped really. That was really cool. Um, but yeah, really good, really positive response. Yeah, awesome. Um, and just sort of like finally, before I kind of wrap things up, obviously, we've had the government's announcement that things could be looking to get back to normal mm. late June. Obviously, the initial plan for you guys was to have the tour early June. June. Yeah. So, yeah. So what's the kind of plan with that at the moment? Like, is it just going to be pushed back a little bit? Like, yeah, well, I, yeah, I think sadly, we're going to have to push it back to probably the end of the year. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can when we made that decision, we didn't have any, it was before this announcement. So I, now that we know that they're, you know, all, all going to plan, there might be stuff happening up maybe in July. I'm sure we'll try and do some shows, like some kind of, mm. initially we were thinking of just some kind of outdoor, we, like last year we didn't do any kind of socially distant stuff, but I think this year we would, if that was the only thing we could do. So yeah. I was planning on doing a couple of album launch, maybe one in London and one in down here, just outdoor things. But obviously we might now be able to do proper shows. So, I think the tour will be moved back, but we'll definitely try and do a couple of things over the summer for sure. That's cool. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Rory, how I like to, to end things is to ask my guests uh, what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So obviously I know at the moment, like you haven't been able to play any of the, the newer stuff. So it might be a bit of a, a hard <laughs> question, but what's your favourite Beach Riot song that you like to play live and why? Oh, okay. Oh, that's hard. Uh <laughs> Because you get kind of excited about new stuff, and I think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. We've got a song that's going that's going to be on the album. That's that's an old for us. It's quite an old song. It's called BAD, and it's it's actually the first song that I ever did a demo of and sent to like Cami and and the guys, and was like, check this out. And it's just a kind of unashamedly fuzzy, very fast paced, just fuzzy song. And that's kind of our. We quite often open with it because it's just like 
you don't need to think about anything. You just, you can play yeah. with your eyes closed and it always is a good, it's the one that kind of, if you nail that, then the gig's going to be all right. So that's probably, <laughs> yeah. Cause other songs come and go where you get kind of excited, you know, for a bit cause it's new or whatever, but I would say that one. So it's called BAD, it's going to be on the album. And um, that's, a, that's the one. Perfect. Yeah. Brilliant. Rory, thank you very much for your time. Um, thank you so really much, looking man. forward to, to hearing the record. And as you say, like hopefully, tour happens before the end of the year but in some aspects we'll see you live at some point <laughs> definitely thank you so much man no worries take care bye so there we have it folks again a huge thank you to rory for taking some time to have a little chat with me um as always if you want to keep up to date with what beach riot are doing we will link all their various social media platforms in the description notes of this episode um yeah their records looking to come out later on this year and as they meant as rory mentioned towards the end of the conversation potentially doing a few one-offs and maybe pushing back their headline tour for later this year so we hope to see them when live shows return asap um i'm going to keep this outro very short because the intro i rambled on a lot but as always we'll be back in next week uh, with another fantastic guest. Uh, whether this is the first time you're listening to the show, though, or the 183rd time, I really, really appreciate it. If you are listening to this on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, then please rate, subscribe, review, share this on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever, spread the word. Like, it really, really does help. I know you probably hear it from every single podcast you listen to, but it really, really does help. Um, as I say, I'm going to keep this out very short. So thank you again for joining us on the Just an Insight podcast and I will see you soon. Mm-hmm.